All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA. It is great to see so many people here today. We are in part two of a series called Fearless. We are talking about the story of Gideon, who is a relatively unknown hero in the scriptures, but we are learning a lot from his life story. And since we are talking about fears, I did a little bit of research this week. And I went to the American Psychiatric Association's website. And I looked up, what is the definition of the word fear? And a fear is, quote, something which causes such stress that it interrupts normal life function. A fear is something which causes so much stress that it interrupts normal life functions. And does anyone want to guess how many fears have been identified and are out there if you want to look them up? Anyone want to guess how many, how many fears? Not quite that many, okay, but on the website they had 107, okay? 107, which is close to 14,000, but I mean, you know. And so, just so we can be better educated, because I'm all about the holistic person right here. We want to learn spiritual. We want to learn all about life right here. Let's play a little game. I put the phobia, or the fear, up on the screen. You tell me if you can figure out what it's about. Fair? I'm going to start you off easy. Go ahead and shout out the answers. The first one... Hydrophobia is the fear of? Fear of water. That's an easy one. Okay, we're starting ABC right here. Number two, technophobia. Fear of technology. Very good. Some people have a fear of technology. Get a little bit harder. Octophobia. Not fear of October. Okay, that's a good try. Okay, it is a scary month. Okay. It's a fear of the number eight. Okay, very good. It's a fear of the figure eight. Some people have that fear of the figure eight. Next one, if you're a church person, you should be able to figure this one out, okay? Tocophobia. Anyone? Not fear of St. Mary, okay, but you're on the right direction, okay? <laughs> we say St. Mary is the Theotokos, which means what? The mother of God or the bearer of God, okay? So she bore God inside her, Theotokos. Theo is God, Tokos is bearer. Tocophobia is fear of pregnant women. <laughs> Yeah, husband's out there. <laughs> exactly, you don't want it. You didn't like that. Okay, don't say anything, but you know, okay, where this came from. Okay, very good. Omphalophobia. Omphalophobia. Anyone want to guess? Fear of belly buttons. Yeah, fear of belly buttons. And I, did, I was trying to figure out, is it like the innies or the outies? I'm not really sure. It's probably the outies, but some people are afraid of belly buttons. How about this one? Necrophobia? Fear of death? Glossophobia? Fear of public speaking. And this is the one that you've heard Seinfeld say this, okay, that on the list, the fear of public speaking ranks higher than the fear of death, which, so that's why Seinfeld said that when you go to a funeral, most people would rather be the guy in the casket than the guy giving the eulogy, okay? <laughs> Stole that one from Jerry Seinfeld. All right, a couple more. Okay, I practiced all these. Archibutrophobia. No, that's arachnophobia. Okay. Archibutrophobia is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I know. That to me is the best part of the peanut butter, is that it stays in there that I can taste it the rest of the day long. That's my favorite. Throw a chocolate chip in there, put it up there, you got a Reese's all day going on. Nomophobia. Nomophobia is fear of not having your telephone. And you know where it comes from? No mobile. No mo. 
nomophobia, fear of not having your telephone. And if you've checked your cell phone three times since I began this talk, you may have nomophobia, okay? Windbagophobia. Fear of long sermons or long games at the start of sermons. Just joking, I made that one up. Okay. Last one. This is a real word. You can look me up on this one. Okay, I've been practicing this one. So hold, hold on. This is a real one word. Hippopotamonstersescapedaliophobia. That's a real word. Hippopotamonstersescapedaliophobia. I'll read you exactly what it says because this is too good to be true what this is a fear of. You will not believe what this is a fear of. This is something, if I didn't read it on multiple websites, I wouldn't believe this. I would think someone made this up. Quote, Hippopotamonstersescapedaliophobia is one of the longest words in the dictionary and in an ironic twist is the name for the fear of long words. Can you believe that? Whatever the name is, fear is a part of life. Every one of us. Call it whatever you want. Whatever the variety is, every one of us is going to struggle with fear in different aspects. And that's why I believe that the ability to overcome your fear, like I could say manage your fear, but I want to go the next step. The ability to overcome fear, that's like a basic life skill. And if you want to be successful in life, we have to learn how to deal with our fears head on. And that's why we're doing this series. Because we're talking about Gideon, who is our hero. But as we talked about last week, he's the opposite of what you would think in a hero. Heroes you think are strong, supernatural, bravery, courage. Gideon is the opposite. He's insecure, he's timid, and when we find him last week, when we're introduced to Gideon, he is hiding in a cave. Not just him, but all the people are hiding in caves because for the past seven years, the people of Israel have been bullied by the enemy, the Midianites. When they came into the promised land, God told them, get rid of all the enemies. They said, well, we got rid of some of them. We didn't get rid of all of them. So like, we're, you know, like enough, they were content. And that ended up biting them because the Midianites ended up enslaving them, or not enslaving them, as much as ravaging their land and bullying them for seven years. And this was the cycle that we saw throughout the entire Old Testament, especially in the book of Judges, is the people of God, God would work, God would do something great, they would be on cloud nine, but then they would relax a little bit. Okay, this is the cycle, the Judges cycle, which is the human cycle. They would relax a little bit, they would rebel against God, they would kind of stray a little bit, and then they would reap what they sowed. They would have the consequences. Remember we said the cycle was rebellion leads to reward, but reward means consequence. And that's where we find the people right now. They are in oppressed. They're being oppressed by the Midianites. But the good thing about the cycle is that's only the first half. Because just as it's human nature to rebel against God and get complacent when things are good to kind of take a step back, when the reward comes or the consequence comes, you know what else is human nature? It's to cry out to God. And that's the second half of the cycle, which is the people repent and God rescues them. So it's rebellion, leads to reward, leads to repentance, leads to rescue. And this is the cycle of all humanity. And this is where we started the story last week. Okay, we'll pick up the story here. Judges chapter 6, verse 6, just to kind of recap. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They had rebelled. They were being oppressed. Human nature, you've heard the expression, there are no atheists in a foxhole. I truly believe this, is that when we are in down, it is our human nature to cry out to God and say, God, help us. We need your help. And that's exactly what they did. And God, because God of the Old Testament is all about mercy. We talked about this last week. People think Old Testament is, is, no, Old Testament is all mercy of God, grace of God. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing the grace of God. Because every time they messed up, they cried to God. And how did he respond? He always rescued them. 
So God, the people cried out to God here. God sends them a prophet. And the prophet says, hey, guys, why are you crying? Remember, God delivered you out of here. God rescued you from here. God took care of this. And then he goes to the root of the matter, the prophet in verse 10. He says, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. The root of the issue here, Israelites, you're worried about those guys and you're pressed by those guys and you're afraid of those guys and help us from those guys. And what God says to them is simple. Israel's problem wasn't their enemies. It was themselves. Israel's problem wasn't their enemies. They're crying and saying, deliver us from these people. And he's like, okay, you know what? Those people aren't your problem. This is a symptom. Your problem isn't those people and anything outside. Your problem is yourself. And before I kind of go on too much from this point, I want to, I want to pause here for a second and say, can you imagine what it would be like if you're the Israelites and you're praying, God, deliver us. The enemies are oppressing us and it's too much. They're destroying our land and, they're, and the battle and the soldiers and the warriors. And God says, okay, I'm going to help you. And God speaks to them about obedience. This would be the equivalent of you're driving down the road. You get a flat tire. You pull over on the side of the road. You call AAA and AAA says, you're in trouble. You say, yes, I need help. And they send you a sermon to watch about purity. You say, what? Why, why, I don't need a sermon. I need a, 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 a tire guy thing. Okay. Or I need a toe or I need something like that. But God says to them, no, the enemies are not your problem. You're your problem. You think it's the enemies, but the true problem was I told you in the beginning, do a, you rejected what I asked you to do. You disobeyed. That's the source. Let me say it another way. The problem was disobedience rooted in fear. So the solution is courage manifest in obedience. The Midianites were just were like, get rid of the Midianites. The Philistines came, get rid of the Philistines. The Amorites came, get rid of like, it wasn't the people. It wasn't the warriors. It was the fact that you disobeyed God, that you strayed. And I'm not saying, listen carefully here. I am not saying that every problem that you have in life is because you disobeyed God. I'm not saying that. There are righteous people who God has a plan for them and suffering is part of the plan. I, so I'm not saying it that way. But what I am saying is this is that when the problems do come, the first place to start looking is the disobedience. You always start right there. Whenever it's like, this was a rough week. Something's just not smooth in my marriage. I don't know why my, my career keeps, I'm not saying it's your fault because you disobeyed, but I'm saying the first question that you ask is, did I disobey? Where did I go astray? Where did I say, okay, God, your way is like good, but like, I'm going to try it my own way. I'm not hundred percent of the time, but that's always where you start. You always start looking right there. And you ask yourself, where's the root? Where did I go astray? God goes to Gideon. Okay. He tells them that your problem is, he says to the, the people of Israel, your problem is not the, the Midianites. Your problem is yourselves. Your problem is you were afraid you disobeyed. So God says, okay, I'm going to raise up a deliverer for you. He goes to Gideon. He meets him in the wine press where he is hiding in fear. And God says to him, hail mighty man of valor, mighty man of valor, valiant warrior. Okay. So this and Gideon at the time is the exact opposite. We talked about this last week. So this would be equivalent of finding a person who's seven feet tall, okay, and calling him tiny. Hey, tiny, how's it going? That's basically what God does. He goes to Gideon who's cowering in fear and he says, hey, strong man, mighty man of God. We're getting him the exact opposite. And Gideon tells him, hey, God, I think you got the wrong person. Verse 15. So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Are you kidding me? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon's like, sorry, God, not me. You, 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 you knocked on the wrong cave because there ain't, ain't no courageous people right here. And before we judge Gideon too harsh right here, I'm going to ask myself this question as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm reading this. Was there ever a time, like it's easy to look at Gideon and say, coward, God appeared to you. 
God said to do it. Like, why are you afraid? God told you. Ask yourself the question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you knew what God wanted you to do? God asked you to do something and you were too afraid to do it. Has there ever been a time where, let's say, for example, God said at work, I want you to take this step of faith. Whether it was take a job or leave a job or start your own thing or make a change. And you're like, I know this is what God wants me to do, but the uncertainty, like it's, ah. Was there ever a time where God put it on your heart? I want you to have a conversation with that person, that guy at the office or that neighbor. Go invite them to church. Go talk to them about something serious. Go and open the conversation and you wanted to, but you just, how about relationally? Is there ever a time relationally, maybe some of you are there right now, where God is calling you, but you're afraid to take that step. And everywhere right now, uh, girlfriends are saying to the boyfriend, yeah, take the step, okay? <laughs> there ever been a time where you know that God's like, come on, man, Miss Perfect ain't gonna come around. She ain't perfect, but she's the one. Like, come on, man, take a step. Or the opposite, and I'm sorry if I, I'm not, I don't know anybody, so I'm giving general advice. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're holding on too long because you're afraid to let go of something that clearly God has said, this is not for you. Like, I'm not telling you what it is. I'm giving general advice up here. But my point is, fear is something that interrupts the normal function of life. And Gideon was asked to do something and fear was stopping him. And maybe it's not just Gideon, it could be me and you as well. So God responds to Gideon. who's was like, I can't do it. It's too much. And God says to him, look, surely, verse 16, Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Boom. Look what he said. He didn't say, no, 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 you're not that bad. No, 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 you're strong. No, 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 he didn't say that. I know you're a coward. I know you're a coward. You're a coward. But I'm with you. What else do you need? Like, I'm with you. Because Gideon, your problem wasn't the Midianites. Your problem wasn't exterior. Your problem was interior. Let's fix the interior don't worry about the outside. That leads us to our key thought today. This is what I want us to talk about today. Courage. Courage isn't marked by the absence of fear, but by obedience in the face of it. Courage isn't marked by the absence of fear. Courage is not, to be, is not being not afraid. Courage is being obedient even when you are afraid. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. God comes to Gideon and says, I want you to do this great thing. Gideon's like, I'm not courageous. And God knows, he says, I know you're not courageous. I want to make you courageous. How? By acting in obedience to what I command you to do. We'll pick up the story right here. We'll start in verse 17. We're going to read a lot of verses. I'm going to go through them kind of quick, but I want you to get the whole overview of it. Okay. And you can go back when you, when you go home and dig deeper inside, but we'll kind of go through here quickly. Starting in verse 17. Gideon says, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon says, okay, you're with me, but how do I know that you are who you say you are? Like, how do I know that you're really with me? So he says, I want a sign. Now, in general, God, it's not a good idea to ask God for signs. When God says, I'm with you, you just kind of say, yes, sir. But you know what? God deals with Gideon as he is. And he says, okay, you know what? I'll stick around. I got a few minutes. Okay, so Gideon goes inside and we, we, we'll kind of skip the story right here, but Gideon goes inside and prepares this sacrifice, okay, and it brings it out to him. We'll read it right here, verse 19. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and an unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, 
Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And so, and he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and the fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon does this little thing and he says, okay, you are who you say you are. And in fact, what we realize is he is not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. And you know the difference between angel with a little a versus angel with a capital A in the Old Testament means a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, Christ who existed before all ages took flesh from the virgin, okay, and he appeared before man he lived on earth. But before he took flesh from the virgin, he would appear at times, manifest himself, think like the burning bush, think like when he spoke to Joshua, and right here when he spoke to Gideon, the angel of the Lord. So basically what happens right here, the introductions are done. Gideon says, okay, I know who you are. You are God. You are with me. And now God says, okay, now you know that. Let's get to the root of the issue. We'll go to, skip to verse 25. God says, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock. Here we get some new information. We said earlier, the problem with the Israelites and with Gideon wasn't the Midianites, it was their disobedience. It was that they had walked, strayed from God. So God comes and says, okay, now that you know who I am, let's get to the root of the issue. Let's fix this disobedience thing. And here we learn that Gideon's had idolatry in his own house. It says his father had the image of Baal in his house. Last week we said, God doesn't see your weakness, or we see weakness as a limitation. God sees it as an opportunity. Here we see how weak Gideon actually was. Not only was he afraid, not only was he timid, not only was he doing all the wrong things for a hero, but also he comes from a household of idol worship. But God says, okay, that doesn't disqualify you, Gideon. The fact that your dad is an idol worshiper, I can still work with that. But step one, we must remedy the situation. Go to your father's house, take that idol, get rid of him. Verse 27. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So it's like the first sentence is like, yes, Gideon. He was courageous. He acted in obedience. He did it. And the second sentence was, he was too scared to do it by day, so he did it at night when nobody could see him. So it's like, not the way you want your hero to do it. Like, you don't want Superman to like hide from the bad guys when he's saving Lois Lane. But okay, we'll take what we can get. Because again, courage. I don't remember. What's the definition of courage? Is courage marked by the absence of fear? No, I just told you a minute ago. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is what? Obedience in the face of it. So was Gideon afraid? Yes. Was Gideon obedient in the fear of that, in the face of that fear? Yes. So Gideon is courageous. We say it slightly another way. Obedience trumps feelings. Obedience trumps feelings. So we think like, I, I'm not courageous. I'm not, I don't feel courageous. And God's like, I don't really care how you feel. I care how you act. I mean, I liken this sometimes to like fasting. Like sometimes we think like, you know, we're fasting right now. It's Lent. Like I want to feel the fast and I want to yearn. Uh, no, I don't. I do not yearn for a veggie burger. I yearn for a big, fat, juicy burger, ham burger, burger of ham. That's what I yearn for. 
and I dream of it and I think about it all the time, but then that doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is when I get to the table, what do I eat? It's not about the feeling, it's about the obedience. And that's what we see right here with Gideon. Gideon does what needed to be done, no matter how he felt. When he does it, the people of the city notice that Baal has, was torn down, even though it happened at night. People wake up in the morning and they're like, what happened to our statue of Baal? And then some guy's like, it was Gideon. Gideon did it. Verse 30. Then the men of the city said to Joash, who's the father, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. So now Gideon's fears are coming true. They come into the dad and they say, we're going to kill your son because he did this. And now watch this. The idol-worshipping dad, the good-for-nothing idol-worshipping father actually saves the day for Gideon. Verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him, meaning he called his son, Gideon, Jerubal, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. The father comes and it's like, why are you guys defending God? Like if he's God, if Baal is God, he'll take care of whoever did it himself. And the people are like, makes sense, logic. Okay, so the people kind of go away. But of course he was doing it to save his son. And then he comes to his son and he gives him a new name, Jerubal, which literally means the one who contends against Baal. Watch this. Gideon, courageous, no. Fearful, yes. Timid, insecure, like scared. Like if I had to give him a title at the beginning of the story, scaredy cat. That's a scaredy cat. But look at the title by the end of the story. Is Baal contender, Baal fighter. And why did he get this new title? Not because he had a feeling of bravery, but because he had a what? Act of obedience. Act of obedience trumps feeling of bravery. He never felt brave. And in fact, it said that he was afraid the whole time, but he acted in obedience because what courage is, is not marked by the absence of fear, by the act of obedience in the face of it. So with that, there's our story for today. I want to go back and I want to get three lessons from those stories. Three lessons that we can pick up from, from, from Gideon about courage. I'm going to go through them quick. Lesson number one, courage to obey begins in my backyard. The courage to obey begins in my backyard. God comes to Gideon. Gideon, mighty man of valor. You're going to save the people. You're going to be a great hero. And Gideon's like, yes, let's do it. How are we going to start? And God's like, go home and clean your family room. I want you to go home and take care of business there first. Because Gideon, the battle with the enemies around you is easy. I'm God. Like, phew, there go, there go. The true battle that has to happen first is the battle within you. Around you, I'll take care of. But within you, I need you. So Gideon, you're going to save this nation. You're going to deliver them from the hands of their enemies. But you're going to start by removing that one statue, that one idol that you got in your backyard. You say to yourself, what does this have to do with me? Anybody here worship an idol before they came? Anybody here stopped off at an idol temple? You know, we don't have idols. We don't have statues. I don't even watch American Idol. I'm a mass singer guy. Like, I don't even... <laughs> and nothing we were idol. I have nothing to do with that. Let's make sure we have our definition correct of what an idol is. 
for Gideon and his family, actually, and all the people of Israel, did they stop worshiping God in order to worship an idol? No. They still worshiped God. They still did the temple thing. They still prayed to God. They still did all their godly duties. But then they just had a backup. A backup plan. So we do the God thing, and we pray, and we do that, but just in case God, you know, drops the ball, we got the God of fertility, and the God of the rain, and the God of, you know, the livestock. So it's not, we love God, and we love God, but you just, you know, plan A, plan B. Idols aren't things that you worship instead of God. They're things you worship in addition to him. And this maybe changes how you look at it. Idols aren't things that you stop worshiping God for. They're things that you worship God, but you just have a safety plan. So for example, let's say financial. I trust God 100%. I trust God 100% financially. But I'd feel a little bit better if my income was X. I trust him. But you know, if my income was, then I would really, really trust him. So you know, maybe we cut some corners. Maybe we shave some stuff off at tax time. You know what I mean? We're just, you know, it's victimless crimes, the IRS. Or, you know, some shady practice. Because if you don't get caught, it's not really a crime, right? That's the way it is. If, if, if no one catches you lying, it's not really a lie. That's somehow we've been led to believe that. Or maybe you say, you know what? You know, maybe it's not the income. Maybe it's like the giving. I believe in giving. Giving is so important. And I would very generous. Once my investments hit a certain point, yeah, absolutely. I'll be the most one. Yeah. Once Bitcoin, I'm just, it's just, I'm waiting for the Bitcoin wait. Like once that, yeah. Once it hits what I'm supposed to. So I trust God, but you know what? Like, I just got my back up and just want to make sure. Singles. Relationally. You know what God commands. Everybody from when they're born knows what God commands is kosher and not kosher in the relationships. We know what we're allowed and we're not allowed. Like, it's very clear from day one. And we believe in what God said and we trust God. But just to back up, just in case. Like, God's ways... Just in case they don't work out, we create a hybrid, a hybrid, a hybrid system. It's like we do what God says to do, but then, you know, we, you know. I'm laughing and I'm joking, but I'm telling you, I'm going to be very serious right now for a second. I know many people, many people, many people who are in relationships right now doing things that they know is wrong. They don't even want to do them, but they truly believe that if they don't do it, they're never going to end up where they want to end up. And that's what we've been led to believe. We're doing things that we don't want. We're doing things that we, we would tell others never to do them. But we've been led to believe if we don't do them, we're not, God's not going to take care of us. And what I'm saying is, that's idle. That's idle. Married people, you're not off the hook. Married people, you're not off the hook. Because you in marriage, I know what God says. I know I'm supposed to, and I know I'm supposed to do this, and I'm supposed to, but you know what? I'm going to do all that. But first, I got to send a message. I got to send a message to her. Make sure that he knows. So I'm going to do the submit and the honor and the respect. And I'm going to do the love and the... I'm going to do all that. But I just need to establish my... That's idle. It's not something instead of. You don't have to stop. You don't have to stop coming to church to be an idol worshiper. You don't have to stop praying to God to be an idol worshiper. You just need to have a backup plan. And that's where Gideon and his family was. And that's why God said, look, Gideon, we're going to make something great out of you. We're going to do something big, but get rid of the backup plan. Get rid of the backup plan. We don't like backup plans. 
So for you, this is where you start in your backyard. You ask yourself the question, where am I disobeying God? Where did I walk astray? Where did I deviate? Where am I have a backup plan? Where did I lose the blessing of God? Because I'm telling you, God wants to crush the enemies around you. And that is so easy for him. But he can't until you start with what the enemies are inside. Courage starts in your backyard. Number two. Number two lesson we learned from Gideon about the courage to obey is that we oftentimes, sometimes we are the answer to our own prayers. We are the answer to our own prayers. God came to Gideon at the very beginning. I'm sorry, Gideon came to God and the people of Israel came to God and said, God, why don't you do something about this situation? And God went to Gideon and said, same question. <laughs> why don't you do something about this situation? People are praying, God, we need you to act. And God's saying, yeah, we need you to act. I'm waiting for you to act. We have this weird idea. When we say, God, save us, God, deliver us. We have this weird idea. What does it mean that God is going to deliver us? In our mind, God is going to deliver me means lightning from heaven. It means earthquake opening up, swallowing up my boss, okay, and crushing his face in there. Or God coming into my home as I come out of the, uh, uh, come downstairs, light shining and incense coming and everyone saying, obey this man. Okay, because he's, he's the real deal. That's how we think of it. But that's not how, that's never how God works. How does God deliver the nation? He works through people. God saved Israel from slavery. How? To a guy named Moses. He said, Moses, let's do this one, two, three, boom. The same thing with David, same thing with Elijah. God delivers through people's cooperation with him. You can't separate the work of God from the workers of God. And we often, we sit here, we cry to God, we wait for God to work, and God is saying, I'm waiting for you to work. I'm going to show you a passage from the book of Amos, chapter 5, which is a strange passage. I'll show you how it relates to what we're talking about. It's going to seem like it, it, it makes no sense, but just stick with me here. Amos, chapter 5, verse 4 through 6. God says to the people, seek me and live. Seek me. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. He says, seek me, don't seek those places. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. He says, seek me, don't seek these three cities. What are these three random cities? Well, first of all, Bethel is where Jacob met God. Okay, and that, that's where the, the, he had that revelation. That, that, that was a transformational moment. So where God met Jacob, there in Bethel. Gilgal is when the Jordan River parted for Joshua and they entered into the promised land. It was at Gilgal. Beersheba, story of Abraham. When God delivered Abraham from his enemies, it was at the city of Beersheba they built an altar. So each of these three cities represents what? Something great God did in the past. And by the time of Amos, the people were sitting around the old campfire saying, remember the good old days? When Bethel, uh, we were, yeah, we we're great people in Bethel. Remember the Gilgal? Woof. Oh, and what happened over there at Beersheba? Nothing better than Beersheba. And the people were, oh, those were great days. And God is saying, enough. Yeah, they were great days, but they're done. But I'm not done working. And I want to work today. And I want to work in this city. And what I did in Beersheba was great. What I did in Gilgal, what I did in Bethel. But I want to work in Arlington. I want to work wherever it is you're sitting. I want, to, I want to work in Leesburg. I want to work today. So it's great to remember what I did in the past. That's good. It's not bad. But come on. We're not just sitting here talking about the good old days. And I'm telling you, for us, Orthodox Church, this is a very dangerous situation for us. Because we have a 2,000-year history, a rich legacy of saints 
and history and stories and miraculous and great stuff. And that is fantastic. But let us never forget that our God is not the God of the dead. He is not the God of the past. He is the God of the living and he's the God of today. And it's great to remember what he did in the past. But church is not a museum where we come and look at relics, okay, and just see what God did in the past. I know we have relics, but you know what I'm trying to say. Church is not a museum. Let's just stick with that analogy. Church is not a museum where it's like, come visit our church where God did so much in the past. Okay, then what? Then God died? He stopped working? Anyone here believe that our God is dead? Why would he stop working? We're not just on cruise control till the very end and say what God did, what God did. Remembering the past is good, but the goal of remembering the past is to inspire us for today and tomorrow. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. And I'm telling you, St. Paul wrote this. We are God's fellow workers. You're like, yeah, St. Paul, you are God's fellow worker. Because without you, so much wouldn't have been done. And St. Peter, God's fellow worker, so much wouldn't have been done without you. And St. John and all those people, and they were like, we knew that what God is doing in the world is through us. But I'm telling you, it applies to me and you as much as it applies to St. Paul. It applies to me and you just as much as it applied to the apostles in the early church. We are God's fellow workers and God is trying to work. But we're sitting here saying the good old days, the good old days. And I guess. Instead of asking God, why aren't you working in my life? I think God looks at us and says, why aren't you working? Why aren't you working in my family? Why aren't you working in your family? Why aren't you working in my career? Why aren't you working in your career? That's what happened with Gideon. Gideon was waiting for God to work. God was waiting for Gideon. And I'm telling you, side note right here, here we are in Lent. I'm telling you, there's no time that God wants to work more than during the time of Lent. And this year in particular, you've heard me say this, that this year, I've been saying it from the start, I really believe God is going to work so mighty in 2022. I really believe it. And the word that I keep saying is this is the year of harvest. After the last couple years that we had, I see it in front of me. It's so clear. God wants to do Great stuff this year. This is going to be the year of harvest. But it's not just going to be us sitting back and saying, oh, it's a great what God. No. If it's going to be the year of harvest, we are God's fellow. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to remove those idols. We're going to act in obedience. Even if we're too afraid to do it, we're going to act because that's what courage is all about. So number one, courage to obey. Begins in our backyard. It begins going inside, taking care of them, and then going outside after we are God's fellow workers. We're the answer to our own prayers. Lesson number three. For those of you who are sitting there saying, okay, Father Anthony, I'm with you. Everything you're saying makes sense. But truth, like let's be honest, truth, I'm still afraid. I'm still afraid. I'm still afraid to act. Like I get what you're saying and I want to get there so badly. I want to have that courage to obey, but I just can't. Number three is for you. Courage doesn't give you your identity. Your identity gives you courage. Courage doesn't give you your identity. Your identity gives you your courage. Gideon said, I'm afraid. I can't. I'm the least. I'm the smallest. God's response to him was what? I'm with you. Like, not like I'm with you, like I agree with you. Like, I mean, like I am with you. Sorry. I am with you. I am with you. And that's it. And I thought to myself, let's imagine, let's imagine that we really, really, really believed that in every situation that I am in, God is with me. Let's say I'm going into surgery tomorrow and I'm afraid. And I believe that God was with me. 
would I be as afraid? Let's say, I don't know about that job. And I really believe and I saw God with me. Or that problem at home and I know God is with me. Or that problem with my kid and I know God is with me. Like the knowledge that God is with me. That gives me courage. That makes me feel like, you know what? Why am I scared of the surgery if God is with me? Why am I scared of that conversation if God is with me? Why am I scared of any of my enemies if God is with me? So the way I see it, getting rid of fear is not about hiding from it. It's not about saying, no, I'm not afraid. No, I'm not afraid. No, I don't believe in that. I believe that the the, the solution is saying, I am terrified. I am afraid of this. I'm going head on to the fear. And God, if you're with me, that's all I need. I'm focusing less on the fear and focusing more on the God being with me. Because that's the truth. And in case you're wondering how you can confirm this idea of God with me, God with me, let me give you some truth from the word of God. And I'm just going to give you four examples. I could have gone on forever, but they would, they would turn the cameras off and the lights off if I kept on going. So I'm going to give you four examples from the scripture. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, this is who you are. This is who you are. In case you didn't know who you are, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're not afraid. I'm sorry, you are not the least, you are not the smallest, this is who you are. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. You are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is truth. This is the truth. No matter how I feel, we said obedience trumps feelings. Truth trumps feelings. Feelings don't matter. Truth matters. And the truth is, I feel like an outcast, but the truth is, I am the son of God. Next verse, Ephesians 2, 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. You're not an alien. You're not a weirdo, which you are as a member of the household of God. The one who has his house that you enter into, that you live in, is the almighty God. Next verse, Romans 8, 37. Tell me if there's a better verse in the scripture than this. In all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, who loved us. Courage is not a magic. Courage is not like a feeling like some people have it, like a genetic courage is none of those things. What courage is, is being face to face with my true identity, which is found in the word of God and believing it. When it comes to making decisions, a lot of times people come to me and ask me like, you know, I'm thinking of this or I'm wondering about this and what should I do with this? You've probably heard me say this. I don't know what you should do like, I don't even know what I should do, but I was, my advice is the same. If God is in it, do it. And if God is not in it, don't do it. It's very simple. So spend less time. I'm like, I want you to spend less time trying to convince me if it's wise. I, don't, I just need to know one thing. Is God in it or not in it? People come to me and say, this boy, this girl, I don't know. Is God in the relationship or not? Because if she's perfect, but God's not in it, run like the wind. But if she's got some issues or he's got some issues, whatever, but God is in it, you go for it. I've always believed that. Like, you tell me what God wants me to do, I'll put my head down, run through a brick wall. You tell me that this thing is not from God, I'm afraid of my own shadow. Because courage is not about being strong. It's about knowing what God says and obeying. And if you're saying to yourself, okay, well, how do I know what God's going to say? We're actually, we're going to discuss that next week. Like, we'll kind of delve into that issue a little bit. But for this week, here's what I want you to think of. Forget about, like, I don't know what God wants. Forget about those decisions. How about the decisions where we know clearly what God wants? 
How about the areas where we know clearly what God is telling us and commanding us to do? Like, let's focus on that. Let's not focus on like the, the 5% where we're like unsure and we're praying about it. Leave those on the side. I'm telling you the 95% of life where we know exactly what God is commanding us to do. Yeah, we're too afraid to act. That's where I want to start. And you say, but it's hard, but this is going to make life difficult. And I'm telling you, that's exactly the Israelites with Gideon. They were saying, God told them, get rid of the enemies. And they were like, well, that's going to be such a pain. It'd be easier just to leave them and make friends of them. Okay, are you sure about that? Because what I discovered, and Gideon discovered the same thing, is that when God tells you to do something and you don't do it, you made your life significantly more hard. You made it significantly harder. You made it easier for the moment. You made it harder for generations. For generations, Gideon and the Israelites were suffering and paid the price for the decision to disobey many years before that because they refused to obey when God told them to get rid of the enemies. They spent so many years under oppression. And I want better for you. So because of that, we're going to act in obedience. It may be hard, but it's not about the feeling. It's about the act. Because, as I said in the beginning, courage isn't marked by the absence of fear, but by the obedience in the face of it. So if you're waiting on God to make you courageous, if you're waiting on God, if you're waiting for like this divine dose of courage, you're going to be waiting a long time. But instead, we're going to act in courage. We're going to act in obedience and the courage will come. Gideon started today as a scaredy cat. He ended today as a bail killer. Think about the, import, the, the sequence is important. God didn't come to him and say, because you're a bail killer, go kill Baal. God came to him and said, go kill Baal, then I'll make you a bail killer. Think of David. David, it wasn't like, okay, you're a giant. Who? I need an expert giant killer. Okay, David, you're a giant killer. Go kill him. No, David, you're a nobody, but go act in obedience. And then after the action, then comes the name that he had. And I'm telling you the same thing for us is that when God sees us, says act in, in courage, act in obedience. That's when, when we take that step, that's when God gives us that new name. I want to leave you with this passage right here from the scripture from Isaiah 43, which if you're following along the church quiet time readings, this was actually the reading on Friday. And when I read it, I said, thank you, God. I'm just going to show it up there on the screen. I'm not going to talk too much about it right here because it says everything that it needs to be. And I want you to believe what this says. Isaiah 43 it says, fear not for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not, for I am with you. Imagine if you believe that. Imagine if you walked around with that. Imagine if whatever God asked you to do, you believed that 100%, the difference it would make in our lives. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your divine calling and all the, 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 the titles that you've given to us in making us your beloved children. Lord, help us to believe that and live in that confidence today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of our lives. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.